Hi, and welcome to the C-Suite Perspective Podcast, where we talk about systems and processes. My name is Chris Gilseth, and I'm the COO of Amazatic Solutions, an agency that develops apps and custom software solutions. The mission of this podcast is to bring together experienced leaders so that we can share ideas and together elevate the industry. If you want to be a guest on our show or know somebody that's a good fit, go to go.amazatic.com forward slash apply. That is go.amazatic.com forward slash apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to C-Suite Perspective, hosted by Amazatic. I'm Chris Gilseth. I'm the COO of Amazatic. And today I have with me on our podcast, Robert Nickel, who is the founder and CEO of Rocket Station. Welcome, Robert. Thanks for having me, Chris. Big fan of what you guys are doing. I'm excited uh, to be a guest here today and, and really looking forward to getting to know you more. And, and thank you for your time. Yeah, and, and just for everybody listening, Robert and I just had a great conversation. It's one of the cool things about doing these things with podcasts and just in general reaching out and connecting with people is that you learn so much from them and about them and you find out common connections. So, you know, we have our headquarters in India. I'm in Utah. I'm my home is in Spanish Fork, Utah. And Robert said, Hey, do you, you know, you're in Utah, like where? Like I got horses in Spanish Fork, Utah. And I'm like, no kidding. That's where I live. <laughs> and so <we've> <laughs> pretty pretty strange time. coincidence for sure. It's not this, it's not the biggest community, Spanish Fork. Yeah, and, and right now he's actually with us from uh, Tulum in Mexico, just because he's out there visiting. And and my family was there just a couple of years ago. And so, you know, it's just fun. We've just had a great time and we are now ready to bring that great time to all of you guys listening and so uh just to kind of introduce rocket station you guys are a business process outsourcing or organization but you also help people with mapping their business processes correct yeah so i mean it, the most businesses have the same issues that that i had when i was starting i was with when i first started my businesses i was great at marketing i was great at generating leads i was good at at sales kind of the front end piece of the business but i was terrible at the back end stuff to be totally candid with you i i wish i could say i just had it all figured out from the beginning but i really didn't and when i started to first try to hire people into my business which was a real estate investing business it was a total disaster. And so I had to learn through, you know, to be cheesy or cliche about it, the, the school of hard knocks and get my teeth kicked in for a while. And what I realized, Chris, was the, the massive issue that I had with hiring and staffing. I was doing the entire process backwards. I was starting by hiring people, throwing them into the fire, expecting and hoping that they would produce and create amazing uh, results for me, but they didn't have the structure that they needed to be successful. And so we have kind of turned that process around where long before you ever hire somebody or put somebody in place to perform a job, the first thing that we want to do is map out step-by-step step every single thing that has to happen for that task. So there's total clarity throughout the day for every person that works in your organization on how to be as efficient and productive as possible and ultimately really reduce the management load on you and your team and what it takes to run a successful organization. So the system and 
process. And I think we view that as the foundation. That's kind of the rock of success for every business. And it doesn't matter whether you're a publicly traded business or a, a solo entrepreneur just kind of getting started. That process, we, we force everybody to go through that system and documentation process up front because we believe that is the foundation for success. And I, I think it's so fascinating because you're absolutely right. And that's a lot what we see too. And um, I want to, you know, typically in, in, in our podcast, I kind of end with, Hey, here's the tangible takeaway from the podcast. And, and while we may get to other things at the end too, because I want everybody to, you know, stay to the end, because there's going to be a lot of things shared here. So, um, you know, make sure you stay tuned in, but at the same time, I feel like asking you like, what is one thing that people can do? And, and if people have just stayed on and all they listen to is like this first part, what is that one thing as far as kind of getting into those systems and processes? Because a lot of times when I talk to people, they know they need to do it. They're just overwhelmed with like the how-tos essentially. Totally, right. To do it. so, it's easy to talk about the concepts. Right, right? exactly. And, and we're also busy. We have so much going on. How do we actually implement that? And the fact you want to get to the meat right away, I love that. I'm sure everybody else does too. And so for the hiring process, we, we think there's a three-step formula for success. And do you want me to just go ahead and give those three steps? And, go ahead and if you're ready for it. Yeah. So most people are really familiar with the normal checklist of hiring and it's, and it's always around that screening of people, right? You've got to generate resumes. You have to screen those resumes. You do the background checks, the, the um, calling references, reviewing the companies that they work for. Everybody has that. You can Google that and find that checklist, but very few people actually perform that checklist or, or does that checklist ever lead to success of just screening resumes to get to a successful outcome? So we absolutely think that that checklist is important and we have checklists we'll give you for free. And like you said, we'll, we'll at the end, we'll share all that information, how to give everything that we talked about today, just give it away for free, we, whether you use our teams or not, happy to share that. But we that the three steps, and it doesn't matter whether you're hiring somebody virtually, it doesn't matter if they're in your office, it's the same process. We go through this process with our executive team, with our virtual team, every single person goes through the same process. And, and uh, we have about 1,200 employees in our company, so I think we're we're relatively successful at this, whereas there's companies significantly larger than us, but we we have a 98% success rate right now on the first hire from our clients that stick more than six months. And that's unheard of in this industry. And it's simply because we go through this three-step process with every single person. So I talking too much, I'm just going to jump right into it. Is that, are you good with that? Yeah, no. And actually this is really good because that's, that's a very high rate, to be honest. I mean, most people know that the hiring and getting the right hire the first time is the hardest part, and it costs a lot of money to kind of get there And when you hire wrong. And so that's really awesome to kind of hear, well, it's just a simple process, you know, and I'm sure there's more yeah. to it than that. But, well, we've but been it really doing it since 2013, to, to right? Process. So it's, it's not like we just like knew all the answers. I had to, I had to go figure it out and, and, and learn through failure. But the first step we already talked about, it's really alignment. We call it a discovery phase. We mm -hmm. want to know everything that's happening in the day-to-day. -day. Most entrepreneurs and business owners are so busy. If you ask them, hey, how was your day? You get the same response every day. 
Good. Busy. Oh, man. I'm so busy. Busy. Good day, but super, super busy. Okay. Tell me about your day. (laughs) What's what is included in your day? What did you do today? Well, then we get almost like people are offended because what do you mean? What did I do? I had so much. I took calls. I had all this stuff going, but they can't really tell you what they did all day because they're just kind of moving throughout the day, doing what they need. They answer the phone when it rings. They respond to emails when it comes in. They're in there, whether it's Slack or Zoom, whatever you're using for your chat features or, or text messages, you're kind of just doing your day as it comes up, kind of putting out the fire as they come through. And we think that that's a very inefficient way to run a business in any business. And we work with, I mentioned it, publicly traded companies. It's the same thing. You'll have high level managers there that are doing low level or remedial tasks and can't really tell you what they're doing all day. And then you've got super efficient companies as well that don't really have systems. They don't really know what they're doing. So the first thing is really to take a step back. And Michael Gerber from Emith talks about looking over your business to work on it. And that concept is really where we want to start. Okay, let's take all the things that are happening in the day to day. Let's see the forest from a, you know, instead of seeing it through the tree, like let's take a bird's eye view and let's look at the business. And we want to get totally aligned with you on what is the intention of your business? Do you have an intent? Do you not have a team? Uh, what kind of systems processes do you currently have? Do you have any software? We really want to look at the entire structure of what you've got going on. And we just call that discovering alignment. And this, the, the sole purpose of that is simply clarity. It's to have some focus. It's to be able to create a game plan. And we don't want to just jump in and create more chaos. Anytime you add into something that's already going, it's just going to create disruptions and it's going to create hiccups. It's going to create problems. And that's why most people, we think, really struggle with management and leadership of their teams is because they don't start from the beginning really defining what success looks like. So that is our first step is to figure out, hey, Chris, what would success look like for you based on your current business, the way you've got set it up, everything set up currently, what would be the desired end state for your business? What would be a perfect setup for what your business could look like? And for us, that's step one. And we just call that a discovery phase. And we work with our clients to pull that out of them step by step to truly understand all the nuts and bolts of their businesses and then prioritize their task list of every single thing that's happening in the day-to-day so that we have. Okay, just so the editors, so we had some background noise here and uh, we're going to redo from where Robert started to talk about the three-step process. And so if you just kind of edit out the noise here um, and then uh, we'll go back to uh, to that so starting from um, now I'm going to do the countdown from 10 and then uh, we'll start right back into it 10 9 8 7 6 5 4 3 2 1 so Robert, you were telling about the, the three steps and it sounds so simple, but I'm sure there's more to it than that because, you know, hiring and, and getting the processes aligned and everything, I mean, that's, that's oftentimes a lot for people, right? And so I'm sure there's more to it. So why don't you share kind of like, what's the first step? 
Yeah, so most people are so busy and they have so much going on. The idea, Chris, of stopping to kind of really look at your business and see what's happening, that alone is an emotionally overwhelming thing to think of. And there's just so much going on. Man, I need to answer the phone. Oh, and I've got emails to respond to. People need me. There's things to do. How can I slow down to really stop and look at the business? We think that's absolutely first step. And that's going to create so much clarity and insight into your business. We we hear all the time. A lot of people time. do that, though, because, I mean, I hear that all the time. And I talk to people and, and especially especially smaller organizations be like, yeah, I, I know. I, I got all these things to do. And it would really help me if I put this into a process or, or write it down and have you know somebody help me out with it. But I just don't have the time to do it. Yeah, you, I hear you, that in bigger organizations too. I think it's actually it's more the same. Almost yeah, in bigger exactly. organizations now because they've downsized so much that you know I have a good friend that they they used to be twenty people on his team and be pretty busy with those twenty people. Now they're three and they're expected to have the same output. Yeah. So that one of the crazy things, what's amazing about starting early on and really putting a strong foundation in place, it makes it so much easier to grow and scale. If you start trying to put structure in place, once you already have a massive machine moving and there's so many moving parts and cogs in the wheel, it, it's a lot more painful to go through this process. And we work with publicly traded companies I've mentioned already, and we work with solo entrepreneurs and everybody in between. But to your point, Chris, everybody has the same issues. It's just at a little bit different scale. And what it really comes down to is efficiency and productivity. There needs to be enough structure for people to be able to perform really, really well. So to your point, I'm so busy. I've got so much going on. How do I create that structure with my business? What are the, like, what can I actually do so that there's structure for me to have more efficiency and more productivity in the business. And we think that you either need to go by yourself or get hire a company like ours. Some, somebody, there's lots of companies like us that do similar things. But the first step, whether you're doing it yourself or hiring somebody, is you have to have clarity and alignment throughout your business. What is your business's core purpose? And are we doing the things necessary every single day to meet those outcomes and have success? And so we want to know what success looks like for your business. What is the definition of success? What would successful outcomes look like? How are we currently structured? What are current teams doing? What is ex- What are their expectations? Do we have KPIs that they're, we're managing them to? Do we know the data in our organization? Do we know how many phone calls are coming in? What's the average call handling time? How many emails are coming through? Do we have, we exported our our Zendesk log. So the first thing that we want to do is look at the data in your business and all the operational procedures, the things that are happening and have total clarity insight and insight into not only what's happening every day today, but also what's supposed to be happening in a perfect world. Does that make sense, Chris, to have just so, clarity so and alignment? About not just staying busy to stay busy. You're actually talking about staying busy with a purposeful outcome or having actions that lead to a purposeful outcome. It's so common in the day for us to just get overwhelmed with tasks that show up. Emails come through and we respond. Our phone rings, we got to answer it. The teams need us, their text messages, whatever. So we're just in reaction mode all the time. And if there's a fire, if there's ever fires in your business, for us, that just means there's opportunity to put structure in place so that in the future, that fire doesn't get lit. Fires are just a result of lack of structure 
most of the time. There's there's always exceptions to the rule, but the vast majority of the time, anytime there's fires, it's because we didn't have enough structure from the beginning to eliminate whatever chaos was going to come. And it's just because most of us, Chris, are so busy, have so much going on, we don't take the time to ever slow down and kind of clean up the forest a little bit so that it can be super healthy and the business shame in it. There's no guilt whatsoever, but most people, they come to us and they feel overwhelmed. They're feeling like they're, they're working too many hours and they're, they're, they're a little bit unsure and they just need some help. And I want you to walk into your office, whether that's at home or in an actual building or a skyscraper, whatever it may be, you ought to be excited walking in every day about what's going to happen today and what's possible within your company. And we think it's only possible to get there if you start by taking a full picture, what's going on, and then let's look at what we actually want to accomplish with this. Why are we why are we hiring teams? Why are we putting new systems or software in place? Why are we doing the things that we're doing? If we can have a lot of clarity and insight and build and have total transparency across the board, then we could talk about moving into building systems and processes and ultimately hiring people. But until we really define success, until I really understand what would motivate you and make you excited about being in your office every day, adding anything on your plate is just going to create more chaos. It's not going to help you in any way. So the first thing we want to do is just really understand you and your business, what we're trying to accomplish long before we put a plan in place. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And, and for anybody listening, just so you know, I mean, Robert is not just saying this out of like, hey, this is something I read in a book or anything. They got 1,200 people in their organization that you know work under their supervision. And so when he talks about 98% right higher in the first time that's six for six months or more, I mean, that's a quite an accomplishment with the kind of size of organization you have there. And so what you're sharing is definitely not just, you know, fluff. It's based on experience and what you guys have to go through yourself. Yeah, so this, this is what we do, right? So we have, we're, we're currently screening about 6,000 applications a month and we hire less than 2% of them. And in order to have that infrastructure, to be able to turn and do those things. I had to go through this exact same process as I wrote to get from where I was as a solo entrepreneur to now managing and having 1,200 employees. It was just a process to go through exactly what I'm explaining here. There, were, there is no shortcut. There is no magic sauce. There is no magic bullet that, that will you know solve all your problems. It just comes from clarity, alignment, and then having structure in place to be able to build one day at a time. All of a sudden, hiring and managing people becomes so much easier. If you're willing to go through these three steps, you will get everything that you deserve within your business. And I can almost guarantee that. So I'm, I'm really excited to hear the second step now. Okay, so once we have some clarity and alignment and what we're trying to accomplish, the next thing we want to do is actually start documenting and create systems and process maps for all of those tasks in the business. So if we're working with the sales team, we support a lot of sales reps and we, we have huge number of our employees are inside sales representatives. So that is generating leads, that's answering phone calls, that's responding to emails, that's running chat rooms and Zendesk and social media management and community building engagement, whether that's in Facebook or LinkedIn. So that it's easy to say that, right? But if somebody comes into the office, it's like, okay, do social media management and answer the phone. 
what does that actually mean, right? So we need to build a schedule for social media. We need to document every script. We need to have an answer for where new leads go and how to push them through the CRM. And it's the same, whether it's bookkeeping, whether it's customer support, whether it's general back office tasks or roles, we want to document step-by-step every single thing that's happening. That's in a pretty PDF document with, that has pictures and arrows and usernames and passwords and everything completed in there, as well as video walkthroughs on and how-tos of how to perform every single task in the business. And that's from a data standpoint. So we want to export all your call logs, your email records, everything that you've got going on, we want to have data behind it to see how much activity is coming into your business, how much, what, what is actually happening in the day-to-day. And then we're going to build a system. We're going to build a task map around what's happening. That is the first part of step two, is actually documenting every single thing in the day-to-day. Do you have any questions about that, Chris? Does that make well, sense? Well, I, I, I'm just sitting here thinking, I can totally attest to what you're saying about this, those processes, because I used to own a, and operate a call center in central Utah. And um, I remember, particularly in one of our projects, we, were just, we had dialed it in so well that I could take somebody new and it would take me about two hours to train them on the project. And then I knew that after those first two hours, they would, and, and that particular project was an appointment setting project, but I knew that they would set an appointment every two and a half hours without question. If they did and said what they were supposed to do, I'm not talking about like a, it, it was a scripted script, but I'm not talking, that's not really what I'm talking about here as much as they they were trained on the conversation and how to have the conversation. They were trained on what they needed to do to manage the CRM. They were trained on, you know, the metrics that matter to them to be able to achieve that. And I had many times one of the reps say, I'm like two hours, two hours and 10. I still haven't had any appointments. It's getting really frustrating. I said, just wait another 20 minutes. And without fail, the minutes go by like, I got it. Yeah, so the most most amazing thing of what what you're explaining is now you have predictability around your business. And to me, that is one of the most empowering things that any business owner can have because now we can make really good decisions based on real information. And Mm -hmm. so if we're guessing ever, then it's just, it's hard to ever feel confident. It's hard to really invest in marketing and do the things that you need to do if you don't really have a true true insight, true data into what's happening. So what, what you're explaining to me is so powerful because now you've got predictability in the business. And once you have predictability, now it's, it's such an emotional weight of you can make amazing decisions. So well, that, I think it, that's an overlooked thing a lot of times where, where a lot of people are, would, would probably say that, well, you don't know what's going to happen or, or you can't you know, know the future or predict everything. We're just doing our thing and hope it goes well. I think a lot of people operate in that mode. And and I know I've certainly been prone to that many times, but I have also learned that you can have that predictability that you're talking about. You can know that this action leads to the next action, which leads to this outcome. And and you're right. The emotional load that's taken off your shoulders is huge, not just from a manager or owner perspective, but even for like in the case that I shared with the reps, they knew they didn't have to stress 
exactly did what they were supposed to do, they would achieve their results every single time. Nobody likes to guess. No employee, no owner, nobody in your business, in any part of our lives, do we like to be in the dark? Do we like to be guessing about what's going to happen? Your team members, they want to know what's expected of them. They want to know what, what is a what a good job looks like. What does success look like for the role and how can they get there? I believe that people inherently want to do a good job for you. I don't think, I think it exists, but I think it's rare that people don't care, that they don't care about performing. Most people want to do a really good job for you. But if you don't have any structure in place, if you don't have the systems and processes in place for them to come in and within a couple hours know exactly what's expected of them and how to get there, then that's going to create frustration for everybody. We hear all the time how hard it is to manage people and how to find good talent and all of these things. And the vast majority of the time, I believe it is the business's fault for the lack of success that they're having with their teams. And it mostly comes from lack of structure, systems and processes like we're talking about here. There is no foundation for success. Employees come in, they learn their job by just osmosis training, sitting next to somebody long enough or the business owner explaining it to them every single day. And then everybody's frustrated. The employees are frustrated. Can I- the owners are frustrated. Yeah, to me, that sounds like we could boil it down to uh, knowing what success looked like in a given position. Absolutely. And there's two angles of that. One is, you know, the employee, they need to know what, what does success look like for me? Like, how, how does management or owners look at success in my role and how can I achieve that? And then from the manager or owner perspective, it is not just understanding that, but like, why do we say that is success? Because we can say it is success, but really is it success in the overall picture when you talk about the six, you know, the outcome aspect of it. Right. Is the successful social media campaign that you got the ads posted? That that things were the tasks were completed. No, success is about the outcomes. Is it generating leads? Is it starting conversations? Is it growing mm-hmm. your community? So so not defining task as the outcome, which so many people micromanage their teams all day. What are we doing? What are we doing? One of the coolest things about COVID, in my opinion, is it is forced managers and leaders to lead from a productivity standpoint, from output about what our teams can do, how can they perform, rather than what are they doing all day. It's a massive shift in leadership. And if you can empower your teams to be successful because you've told them exactly what that means, not just how we're doing the job every day, but what we're expecting the outcomes to be. Now teams can be creative. They can support you in that. They can develop those roles. They can expand and grow. Now they're empowered to build and grow your business and your business becomes exponentially more valuable almost overnight because you have thinking producing amazing employees that are vested in growing and creating a more sustainable business that can only happen with clarity about what's expected of them and what success that you just talked about what are we actually trying to accomplish beyond the the task list has a bigger goal than just completing the task so if we're all aligned about what those goals are 
Now it's not just you as the business owner having to come up with every idea that gets us to those outcomes. Now our teams ought to be able to help us drive to those outcomes without you having to tell them all day how to take every step and put, you know, how to do every single task. It's about how do we get to the big picture? Exactly. All right. So what's step three? Okay. So that that's the, the, let me finish step two real quick. So step the step step two comes in really two parts. The first is documenting all your systems and processes. Then that creates the job description. So oftentimes there's so many things happening throughout the day to day. But as we all know, an inside sales rep or customer support person is a very different role than some of the administrative tasks like bookkeeping or back office support or you know, managing Zendesk or, or client support tickets. That is a detail-oriented structure process. You don't need personality in your accounting and bookkeeping department. That's not necessarily important as communication skills and empathy and ability to build relationships. You need a detail-oriented person where every I is dotted, every T is crossed, that moves slow, that doesn't miss anything, that is con- that's into conformity and structure and is gonna make sure that the foundation of your business is rock solid. That's a very different role than somebody who's working inside sales or that's on your, your lead generation side that's gonna be client-facing that you need to, to establish relationships and be able to build rapport. So once we've mapped out and documented all the systems process, all the tasks that are actually happening, now we can build a job description. What is that role actually going to look like? And if it's more than one person, we can divide that. And it's now based on data. So step two is really those two parts, documenting the systems and processes, then creating a job description based on what we're expecting, what success is supposed to be, and then creating a clearly defined path through a very specific, well-written job description where everybody is totally clear about what we're looking for. And this is definitely before we go out searching for candidates and trying to find somebody, we need to know what that perfect candidate looks like. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And I bet that is one of the things that contribute to your high success rate on hiring too, because I can tell you how many job descriptions I've read out there on like job boards, for example, that you're like, well, this is so generic. Like, what am I, what is somebody really supposed to do there? I mean, and, the marketing and even, is the most common that are thing. more detailed are usually very different once you actually get into the role. And so it's like, but that's not what you hired me for. Exactly. <laughs> you know? The one I see most, like that seems most egregious for me that I see all the time is jobs for like marketing. I need somebody who is detail oriented and structured that can be creative, create the plans, be responsible in outcomes, but you want them to manage the CRM. It's like, okay, I, it, it's like, let's take two completely opposite people, merge them together. That's what I'm, I'm looking for a unicorn. Yeah. I'm like, that makes no sense. Was it who is going to relate to this job description? Who is going to apply to this? Not the person that you're looking for because you don't have a clue who you're even trying to attract in the job description is just going to create more chaos. Than and if clarity you do find or, that person, it's going to cost a whole lot more than you're willing to pay for it. <laughs> or it was just dumb luck. Yeah. You can get lucky every now and then. And it's happened to me before as well. I'm not, I'm not immune to anything I'm talking about here, but it's, I, we like to eliminate luck as much as we can. Let, let's have structure. Let's have a, let's have a process to get there. And then 
there will sometimes be mistakes. There will sometimes be errors, but that should be the exception, not the commonality. So we think we've totally flipped the hiring process where we've got 98% success rate, but that only because we, because we are dedicated to this process I'm describing. And our clients either go through this process or they don't work with us. There, there is no exception. There's not a single client that we have that hasn't gone through this process step-by-step. Step. And it is a, it is law for us. And it's because we, we don't want to guess. We don't want it to be random, dumb luck if we're successful. And this formula has proven to work. So those are great tips for anybody that wants to hire in general, I guess. Uh, But especially if you're looking at outsourcing some things, whether it's, you know, uh, remote workers or freelancers or, or, you know, agencies or whatever. And so Great, great tips. But you did say there was a third one too. So yeah. So okay. So I'll I'll wrap it up here. The third one does come with two parts as well. The first part people are really familiar with. Now it's time to screen and vet our candidates. And so I mentioned screening six thousand applicants a month. Mm-hmm. They are screened towards job description. So we have roles defined with with what we're looking for. So as those candidates come through, we're putting them through personality profile. We use a tool called Culture Index that that we think is very, very sharp and very accurate. And there's a lot of data behind it. They're on our platform for, for about eight weeks before we ever they ever start going through interviews. Where, so we spend a ton of time. We have huge infrastructure around screening, recruiting, training. And that process, I'll, I'll explain it, is it comes starts with an application and we have a, an automated way where people can submit their applications and their requirements. So the application has to come in. Their references have to be attached to that application. They're with their complete job history. And they also have to take the culture index profile and that completes their application. So if you don't have a completed application, we're not even screening your resume. So that's one of the first ways that we eliminate some of the people who, who are trying to get into the pipeline. If you're not willing to jump through a few hoops for us, then it's not really something that, that we're interested in. So that job description we talked about, step two, really leads us into the step three, which is the screening process. We want to generate as many applicants as we can based on that job description. And then we're going to go through the process, the checklist that I mentioned at the very beginning. We're going to do interviews, really three to five interviews, very robust interviews, asking very meaningful questions. We're going to do background checks, drug screening, profiling, all the things that you want to go through to make sure that the person that's coming into your office is the right core value fit. It takes time and it takes some work to really screen those applicants. But if you're not going to do it yourself, you definitely need to hire somebody to go through that process for you because you cannot skip the due diligence process of screening applicants once you have that 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 uh, job description created. So that that screening and getting the right candidate is the first part of step three. And that is the least sexy part of the entire thing. It is just grunt work. And I, and I wish there was an easier answer. I wish there was a magic bullet, but it's really about having good people that can screen that understand what you're looking for in those job roles, and then be able to actually have meaningful conversations through an interview process to, to filter through candidates and find people who are truly looking for the job that, that you're trying to put together. So the screening, interviewing, and profiling really becomes the first part of, of step three. Do you have any questions? And so, yeah, I want to know because a lot of times I hear discussions around interviewing and like, what are good interview questions? And obviously that's going to depend on the role you're hiring for, but are there any 
generic tips that you can give on interview questions? Yeah, absolutely. So I, the most of the time, what people do before an interview is they Google, you know, good interview questions and every most candidates that we talk to are used to getting the exact same questions over and over again. Tell me about a situation that you failed and how you learned from it. And everybody's got a canned answer for those types of questions. Mm -hmm. So what we like to do is get a little bit more creative based on the roles that we're talking about. So can you explain to us a, a job that you've had? And usually we know this from the rest way. We just want to hear them explain that was similar to the roles that you're applying for. Tell us about your family. Tell us about, we, we really want to know them as people. So we asked like probing questions about hobbies, what they do in their free time, what, what, what really motivates them, what gets them going in the morning when they wake up, when are they excited? I like to ask what people do on the weekends for fun. And what you're trying to do is get people to get their, bring their guard down and give you honest, sincere answers about who they are and what they're looking for. So I wish I had so, some just so, like, well, I, I want to jump into that a couple, a couple of things here, because, um, you know, especially if you outsource to a different country, you know, people have different cultures. And I remember I remember interviewing some people that were in the Middle East and I wanted to know more about them because I had their resume. I saw their professional profile. I knew what they were doing. I wanted to know who they were as a person and if we could relate. And I started to ask about their hobbies and they always diverted the question back to kind of work experience. And it was... I had to kind of break that with them and say, no, I actually want to know about you. Like, what do you like to do? Who are you as a person? And it was such a shock to them that that even mattered to me. And so the number one key you there, like, you have to sense that in the conversation, whether that is part of their culture or not. And you may have to kind of allow them to be themselves sometimes with that. That's what I was fixing to say. I was about to do to you what I was about to share not to do during an interview. You have to let people talk. And so many times the interviewer steers the person to the answer that they're looking for. They'll say things like, we really like athletes in the office and, and athletes seem to really work out. And we, we appreciate people who have played college sports. And what are your favorite hobbies? What do you think you're going to get as an answer? They're all of a sudden going to love sports. They're going to be right. athletes all of a sudden, right? So most of the time, the interviewer, the person conducting the interview, screws it up by making it all about them. They're giving too much of their perspective and their insights, and they're sharing about uh, what their favorite foods are, what they like to do with their wife, and explaining their hobbies before they ask about someone else's hobby. The most important thing is to just keep asking probing questions and remove yourself from that process and question and stop sharing your entire life story with the candidate. It's their interview. And so most of the time we see people screw up the interview by making it about them instead of the candidate. Yeah. Now you talked about asking about their family. I know that especially in the U S that's kind of like a, go no go kind of type of topic because definitely have to be there are certain things you can't definitely can't ask because you can be liable as an employer if people don't get the job and they get upset and they think you got didn't get a job because of whatever you know and so maybe you can help clarify those lines a little bit about what things people can ask and cannot ask about 
Totally. So you absolutely cannot ask people questions. And, and again, I'm not, this is not legal advice. I'm not an attorney. I am not giving any specific legal advice, but it's pretty simple to just Google things you can and can't do. And the U.S. government's done an amazing job of, of creating some clarity around that process. So the, the best way is to, to Google that to keep yourself out of trouble. But it's primarily around discrimination. And it's whether, it, whether it's family or sexual orientation or religious beliefs. Like we, in the places like the Philippines, the laws are a whole lot different. Like we, there's not as many discrimination laws, but we operate the same, whether we're the U.S. or the Philippines, it doesn't matter with our goal and intent is to not discriminate ever. We want equal opportunity for the best candidates to rise to the top and it have nothing to do with any biases that we all have. And so some of those biases can come out unintentionally and you can ask things uh, the wrong questions to ask that can get you in big trouble or, or you know, if you're interviewing a, someone who potentially wants to start a family, you can't ask them about if they're planning on having kids. Or are you pregnant? Are you planning getting pregnant? Because it would seem like that you're going to make a decision on their their ability to, to perform the job on their familial status in that way. I don't mean that, but sometimes when when it, when people have kids, most of the time, the most important thing in the world to them is their kids and their family and the things that they're doing. And so if their family is their why and they're using that as a reason for their motivation, that's a totally different conversation to have with right. somebody about their motivation, what drives them, what their why is, what's their purpose, why are they getting up every single morning? That's where we like to really focus more on, are you growing a family? Are you building a family? Right, exactly. Like, what is your family dynamics instruction? You know, it has I don't want to, to get do with too, that. Yeah. And I don't want to get too far into kind of those those legal questions because none of us are attorneys, so we're not providing legal advice here. Um, but it's good to be aware if if you have not, if if I mean a lot of you already know this or have HR departments and they're taking all care of all the legal compliance and everything there, so you're good. But if you're just starting out or you're just kind of you start out with a group of friends and then you're now you're growing your business and you actually start to hire outside people. It is good to be aware that there are things you need to look into as far as what kind of questions you can and cannot ask. So just want to kind of put, put that out there. Yeah. And, and educating yourself about that will always be a, a great thing to do. You will learn and grow from that process regardless. And, and if we can all gain a little bit of empathy that that's not a bad thing so um that but yeah I, I think it's definitely something you should concern yourself with especially in the climate today every day it gets a little tighter um around hr liability and what you can and can't do and for good reason so we we always want to make sure that we're not even coming anywhere near close to walking those lines on i mean discrimination is never okay and so we want to make sure that we're not only educated, but our teams are really educated as well, because when it comes to the interview process, there is no excuse for a discriminatory interview, whether someone knew a question was discriminatory or not. It's, it's not an excuse. So, um, right. yeah, we, we want to make sure that, that that is not taking place. And a little bit of research and a little bit of education, Google's pretty amazing. You, you could get pretty far and, and feel pretty comfortable to conduct great interviews. Yeah. So that was the first part of step three. What's this? What's the second part? Okay. So once you find the perfect candidate, this is probably equally as important, but everybody seems to miss this part. So I want to make sure and really hammer this home. We've built a job description. 
We know what success is supposed to look like. We have done all the work to find the perfect candidate. It's imperative you take the time to create a glide path when they first start. Those first few weeks are critical in giving them everything that they need. We call it onboarding, and, and different companies will use different terms for those first couple of weeks. But the vast majority of companies have no plan whatsoever with how to deal with a new employee when they first start. And you can't just throw like, oh, here's a PDF document. Good luck. See you later. I mean, that like. It's just such a terrible way to be introduced to any new role. And, and we mentioned earlier that employees don't want to be guessing. They don't want to feel lost. So having a clear, concise, well-defined onboarding program where your employees come in, they feel safe. They feel secure. They have all the confidence in the world about what they're supposed to be doing, how to do that, who they communicate to, when, what's expected of them. All of our teams, we put them through an orientation where first day on the job, they're sending start of day and end of day reports. And they do that for as long as they work with us. They're summarizing their activities. All that's backed up with data. We have all of our teams in, in chat rooms with both their individual departments and the greater company. Every morning when people log in, they're saying good morning. So the entire team knows that they're there. Every day when the, their day is done, they're logging out, they're letting everybody know, good night, see you tomorrow. We're recreating the entire feel of being in the office. When you're in an office, you know when people show up, you know when people leave, you know how long they're on their lunch break, you know how many times they go to the bathroom, how many smoke breaks they go on. All that stuff just naturally happens in the office. We want to recreate that in a virtual environment. We want to make sure it feels and functions the exact same way. And that comes from a well-defined onboarding program. And again, it's one more thing that we force everybody to implement, whether you like it or not. It is the, it is the most critical part of that initial phase of a new employee, because without a well-structured onboarding program, we're lost. And then everybody just gets frustrated about what's happening. So onboarding is not to be missed. It's not to be skipped, but it really completes the, the hiring process, in our opinion. And, and you mentioned earlier that Part of that is also, or I imagine that's part of the onboarding process. We have all that documentation, you have the, the screenshots, you have the video recordings on what to do or how to use certain tools or whatever it might be. And that's all part of that onboarding process, right? Exactly. That's exactly right. Now they've got libraries, tools, and resources to refer back to. So there's nothing more frustrating than seeing in a chat somebody say, hey, how do I reset my password for this? Or like the most basic stuff. It's time consuming. It eats minutes out of the day and it eats mental bandwidth and people have to start stuff. All the most, those small minutia things throughout the day, those systems and process docs. Now at the beginning, do you, you might have to do a little bit of handholding for a few days at the beginning, answer a little more questions, be a little more available, walk them through those process maps whenever there's, there's a little bit lack of clarity from time to time. But once they're up and running in their role, they ought to have no issue whatsoever. Those, those documentations of all the tasks that are happening serve as the resource map. When things change, this is another question I get all the time. Well, what happens when the system and process changes? Guess who's responsible for updating all the process docs and all the training manuals and all of those things are there? The person performing the role because they're the ones integrating with that stuff every single day. So if usernames oh, and passwords change. I know so many systems that where companies have something in place, but it's outdated. And it's because it's done from the top down there. There is a management level somewhere that's uh, that that's where all the updates are made. I love that part where 
to let the we people think, who are in that do what? Yeah, these these have to be, in my opinion, they need to be living training documents. They need to be ever changing because the business is always moving. It's always adapting. Every time a script changes, put it in the process manual. And this isn't something you do later. You do it now because you'll forget it or things change or you won't be able. And all of a sudden it's now so overwhelming because you're two years behind and you've got worthless documents and training maps that nobody can even use. So the point is it for it to be usable. It's it's to empower your teams. It's to make things more efficient. And so if we keep those updated in real time, then you never have this issue of having to start over again. And that that is a, a huge stress relief for most people. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Now, you know, what you're talking about here is is what a lot of people refer to as standard operating procedures or SOPs. Yep. And I bet there's a lot of listeners that that are sitting there with the question is like, well, we created that, but nobody reads them. So how do you get people to read them? Or, I mean, you said, don't just give them a PDF, right? So that's kind of the first thing. But even if it's a series of videos, like how do you get people to actually consume the material so they know what to do? Yeah, the first thing is they've got to be meaningful and impactful. If they were just created randomly, you talked about top down. We see that all the time. People say, yes, they first come in and say, oh, we've got SOPs, but nobody's using them. Nobody's logged into the LMS or the training, li- the learning management system or the libraries. Nobody's, nobody's engaged with it, to your point. So to me, you might as well not even have it. You might as well not even go through the process of doing that. And if they can't be stress tested, if you don't develop and document an SOP and then have somebody actually go try to implement it based on that SOP and have success, then it's a worthless SOP. So to me, that is the first step is once things are created, somebody needs to act on the team needs to actually go implement those materials to make sure that it works and it's right. And that should, that is the number one reason it can't just be created by upper level management because most of the time they're not performing the task. So we don't we don't want some worthless document that people can't use. So the first step is really to to be able to do it is to have the people performing those tasks actually be a part of the development of those so they truly understand what's happening. Now, so I, don't, I don't know if you do this, but this is something we are actually in the process of doing right now in our company where there's almost two layers because obviously you can't like if you if you're teaching somebody on how to use a CRM, I mean there there's going to be practical things that they need to know as far as like how how does this function work or whatever so what we're looking at is more like it's a two-layer thing where it's either a a paragraph that that explains this is what this role does from a through c Uh, um or um in some cases would actually be almost like a logic logic tree where you will see well this leads to this leads to this leads to that and then within that you can obviously access more you know resources that are are more detailed if you if you feel like it but on the surface most people will get it just from that logic because they will see the connections and they will understand how it applies to their role and they don't need to sit and read through 40 hours of of sop oh you said it so perfect yeah you did. You explained that somewhere. We we view it the exact same way. You've got essentially the mission, 
right? Or and like if it was a scientific study, the hypothesis, where that what are we getting to? What is the outcome, right? Mm-hmm. And that's really where the management team spends most of their time is the larger matrix. I could talk about the outcome, putting the larger pieces together. Those larger pieces then have individual steps to actually accomplish those tasks. Right. And so we we do the same thing where if teams understand what the mission is, the actual tasks are only as important as that system. So, so for example, um, you're talking about CRM management. It's really important that leads and contact records stay updated appropriately. So there's a very specific checklist of what's happening there. But when we're talking about sales and there is a bigger pick, we're trying to move them through the pipeline. The purpose of a discovery call or the purpose of an introductory is not just to have an introductory call. We're trying to move them through the process. So if the teams are only focused on what the tasks are and the steps are from an inside sales, then are they truly moving people through the pipeline or are they just checking off boxes? Oh, I had this big conversation. So understanding what the mission is to your point, I think is what is you said it way better than what I'm even doing now. I don't know why I'm re-explaining it because you said it so well, but that that macro mission helps people understand how to actually go perform and accomplish those those jobs, right? And that's what I meant about being able to empower the business to come up with new ideas, to to grow and you not have to be the one to think all this. Because if we know what the mission is, Sometimes the task can, we can make it even better One, you know, my, I want to hire people that are better than me at performing those tasks. Oftentimes they'll have great ideas. So we update the systems and process maps from the teams because they're performing all better than we could have ever imagined anyways. But yeah. how do you get them to actually watch it? To, to answer that part of the question, that's part of the onboarding process. We give our teams time and We recommend everybody do the same thing at the beginning to truly learn the role. We don't expect day one, if you're going to be in inside sales, to be on the phone crushing it and just performing perfectly. We want you to learn the scripts. We want to role play a little bit with you. We want you to to shadow other people on the phone. We want you to actually engage and spend some time going through that. And that includes the training materials. And so we like to do things that, that that is kind of a competitive, fun type environment with where new people, they go through training. We do random quiz type things. We'll give little, you know, pizza party type bonuses, incentives where we can, we'll quiz people and they'll, they'll share and we'll do internal leadership and training where people are challenging each other based on those scopes and those, those process maps. So we like to create a very engaged community around that. But we're really setting the expectation, Chris, at the beginning that you have dedicated time to go through these resources. And then we're following up with you on a daily basis consistently throughout the day to make sure that one you're going through and two see if you have any questions about I that think that's so key, that follow-up because you're, you're right there's so many other just say hey here's here's the info good luck you know I'll see you later right so uh, we're, we're, we're headed toward the end, towards the end of, of the of the podcast episode now but i want to ask something and you and i talked about this a little bit beforehand but you didn't share any examples or anything yet. So I'm, I'm excited to kind of hear what you're going to share now. And with, you know, there's been so much talk and it's become so, such kind of a, a buzzword is not the right word, but more of a, of, of a, um, the common thing. I'm trying to find the right words for this. It's, it's kind of been hyped up a little bit, but but hype is not really what I'm talking about. Popular, popular I guess. I mean, I, I think I had a better term in mind, but 
we'll go with popular. It's become very popular now to outsource some or a larger part of businesses processes, whether that is marketing or that is sales or customer service or, or core operations or, you know, like I said, bookkeeping, whatever it might be. And, uh, and there's plenty of stories of how businesses really loved it once they did that and, and the impact it had on them and everything. And, and there's certainly stories of, you know, you chose the wrong provider or, or hired the wrong person that just was a mess, but in your own experiences, what are some of the, like the really good examples that you, you could share as well as some of the really bad ones that, you know, it's, and it's not about highlighting the bad ones, but it's about what can we learn from them? Yeah. So the, the, we, I, I mentioned we force all of our clients through that three step process. And the reason mm-hmm. we do that is because we didn't always force everybody to go through that. And I believe that the office is not the place to work on your weaknesses. This is not where you come to grow and expand yourself and, and who you are as a person. Yes, from like a core value in the community and culture, but not as far as a skill set. I, I want your skill. I want you to come into the office. I want you to be focused. I want you to be in flow. And I want you energized by what you're doing all day. And to me, the only way you're going to absolutely love what you're doing and have passion for what you're doing all day is for your personality and who you are to match that job description in that role. So we're trying our entire mission is to get the right people in the right seat. And if we do that, all of a sudden you're motivated, you're fulfilled, you're content, you're proud, you're happy, all of those, those types of things. Right. So early on, we had a lot of, we made a lot of mistakes and some of those I'll just share around, for example, like communication skills. We primarily source out of the Philippines where 90% of the population is, is speaks great English. They're highly educated. Um, education is a super important part of their culture. It just so happens that the GDP is lower. So their wage is, is really low. Well, I used to think that English proficiency was the most important thing. Everybody had, and I think it's very common, people call me and say, hey, I need somebody that speaks perfect English. Of course, we all, we all want the perfect English. Mm-hmm. But I've put plenty of people in roles with perfect English in sales and customer support that utterly failed, complete disaster. And it's because communication skills are far more important than English proficiency. And you can think about that in your own personal lives. Like how many people do you know that speak perfect English, but trying to communicate with them is a nightmare. It's the same way with your employees. So we used to really focus on more surface level things like English proficiency and, for example, resume history and job description. Just because you've performed a role before doesn't mean you're going to be be good at that job. It just means you have history that maybe somebody else made a bad hire. Maybe somebody let you stick around for longer than you should have. So the most common mistakes we made at the beginning were being really surface. Like we were pretty superficial with the way we evaluated talent quite a bit. And it most of our clients were looking for that. They just wanted somebody just English to sound perfect. And then they would hire them and they'd think that they'd have success. But if somebody's going to be on the phone communicating with potential clients or supporting current clients or supporting people from a client-facing standpoint, even if it's just engaging with the community, communication skills are far more important than English proficiency. So really understanding, I keep saying I sound like 
broken record i'm sure but what the mission is and success and what we're trying to accomplish that really like early on we missed that quite a bit because we were looking at more of these ancillary things trying to fit instead of like what is the core mission and who's going to fulfill that role really really well yeah and i think along with that is a not just communication as in words but in culture as well because um, granted somebody could sit on the other side of the world and that's fine but there are sometimes cultural nuances or reference nuances uh, that may be industry specific. That is, so it's not more as much of a, you know, country or state by state culture, for example, but it's more of a, an industry culture. And so unless people are either familiar with that or educated on that, we also set them up to fail. I've, I've had people where I coach them on, you know, their English was great. They were able to express themselves. But then the prospect was sitting there and saying things, and they didn't catch that at all. Right. It was partly industry terms, partly, you know, just an understanding of what was going on in their lives in their particular culture in that particular area on the world. And and so I agree with you. I think communication in general is a much bigger aspect of it and then being able to pick up if you don't know everything and be able to realize that that's a term that I'm not familiar with and I heard the term and maybe I can sense what it means even though I'm not like intrinsically familiar with it so there's another example from my end where it didn't go as well as it could have gone because of some of these communication pieces. Yeah, when I first started I was, I was just hiring for myself. I was a real estate investor. I was flipping houses just like on TV, right? Except it's nothing like it's on TV, but that that's what I was doing. It's fixing, flipping houses for the most part. And I first started outsourcing and I was doing it all myself. I thought I could just go through the process that we explained and, and I could do it. And I failed most of the time. And the reason that I failed was I just didn't have the resources and the infrastructure to go deep enough in this process that we talked about. So most of the mistakes I made were from lack of resources, lack of time in the day, lack of money, lack of energy to actually go through these steps the way we've talked about it. And I would just fill roles and and kind of the first person that seemed like a good fit, they interviewed really well, they seemed like they would work. I would kind of just throw them at because it was such emotionally draining. It was exhausting to go through that process all the time. And then you get so many of these things that you and I are both describing where you're, you're having misses and you're missing the mark. And it's because it's just really not, your core genius or your your core skill set. And so the I kind of that to me is kind of the summary of going why you should choose an agency versus hiring yourself because the small difference in cost, it's really not that much to 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 hire somebody like us or another company that does something similar, but what you get is all the resources behind that company. So we have massive infrastructure, literally hundreds and hundreds of people that are making this system go. And that to me is the advantage of using a company like us is to eliminate all these mistakes and errors that you're almost inherently just going to have from lack of infrastructure. And I mean, how can you compete with us? We're screening 6,000 applicants a month. I'm going to hire the best people. So if you get somebody really good in the same zone as me, you really just kind of got lucky. I missed them. Well, you know, but you're right though. I mean, that's that's 
the argumentation I give for people for hiring a, a software development agency like ours too is because not only is it the individual and their skills and their ability to communicate, but as you're building things up, there's also a team culture, there's internal processes, exactly. there are all these things, and they take a lot of time and effort to build up. But we go through hundreds of resumes too, not yep. 6,000 a month, but, but a couple hundred a month. And yep, and the knowledge base that your developers have continued to grow. So you've got this communal environment internally, where as you take on new clients, new projects, new developments, your teams not they continue to grow, grow, grow. They become exponentially more valuable because of the depth of knowledge and the resources that they have. And the more diverse your client base, your management, your leadership, all that knowledge gets passed down. And exactly. it's the same thing with us as we, you know, we're working with several hundred clients, and we're not passing one client's information information off to another that never happens it's proprietary information we don't share but our the skill sets of our team they build their knowledge base and that skill set and their experience and it's it, it cannot replicate in a one-on-one environment in traditional office it's just not possible we have a massive advantage from insight into what's happening almost in the industry because we are behind the scenes in so many businesses across nine different countries now so to go get to go out there on your own and try to compete with an agency like you is it's almost impossible to have the same results, even though you're paying a little bit more. It ought to be exponentially worth it based on kind of all these factors. That well, we and you're about. so yeah, you're so right. I remember a conversation that I was listening into where um, Barbara Cochran from Shark Tank was asked you know, one of some of her kind of keys to success and what she said that she was really good at was looking at things in different industries and seeing what they were doing and figuring out how that applied to the industries that she's in and applying that. And I'm bringing that up because of what you just said. When you work with an agency, we already work across multiple industries. And so we see these things and we can't apply them. Um, so that's a, that's a very good point too. Now, I we're going to finish here, but I want to, I know that you, you've said, well, you've already shared a bunch and I really thank you for that because I think it's super helpful. And I, everybody that listens, I mean, the goal with this podcast is to be able to give you value that you can actually take away and apply in your business. So whether you hire, you know, Rocket Solutions for for uh, uh, outsourcing some of your processes, or you hire Amazonic for uh, your software development, or, or some of your other aspects, or not. You know, we hope that you have been able to walk away with some things that you can literally take and apply in your business right away. Now, in addition to that, I know that you had some resources you want to share. There may be people that want to get in touch with you or with your company. You know, what's 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 the best way to reach out? Yeah, our website is rocketstation.com. So anybody that just wants to see some general information about what we do, you mentioned sharks. We've got a few sharks that are strategic advisors for us. We're really fortunate to have Kevin O'Leary and Kevin Harrington, uh, part of the company, doing some cool stuff. So the website, rocketstation.com. But anybody that's listening, I don't care whether you hire us or not. If you have any questions, I'm happy for our team to spend some time with you, 30, 45 minutes, answering questions about your business specifically. Most people, Chris, they they call me and say, hey, heard you on the podcast. 
I, I generally get the concepts, but I want to know how that applies to me and my business specifically. If that's you, if you're looking for just a little bit different information, we've got scripts, we've got processes, we've got lots of things that that we'd be happy to share, as well as just walk you through Q&A and answer questions and show you the best resources for, for your business. And again, you, you don't have to hire us. We're happy to spend a little bit of time with you. Our director of business development, our top guy is Greg Brooks, and his email is brooks, B-R-O-O-K-S at rocketstation.com. Tell him you, you heard me on the podcast, on Chris's podcast, and we'll set up 30, 45 minutes with you, answer any questions you have, and, and hopefully give you all the resources that you need to go through this process and be successful. Thank you for that. And uh, this concludes this this episode. And we really want to thank again, Robert and Kel from Rocket Station. And we had a blast talking before this podcast. We didn't record that part. Sorry, guys. But I hope you've gotten a lot of things out of this, this podcast as it is. Uh, if you want to actually join the podcast as a guest, if you are a C-level um you know, either employee or founder of a company, we would like to hear from you and, and have you on our podcast. And you can apply by going to go.amazatic, which is spelled A-M-A-Z-A-T-I-C.com forward slash apply. So go.amazatic.com forward slash apply. Any last words you want to share? I just super appreciate you having me on today. I'm uh, looking forward to coming out to Spanish Fork. I'm going to have to hit you up and, and take you for a bite to eat or something and uh, maybe go out and ride the horses if you were oh, open awesome. to that. Yeah. We, I would love to take you on a trail ride. There's some beautiful places to go very near where you are. So I would love to take you out. So I'll, I'll reach out when I'm on my way out. I would love for anybody that's interested to, to email us at brooks at rocketstation.com. And uh, Chris, this is a lot of fun. I, I really appreciate you. Well, thank you, Robert. This has been great. And everybody, have a wonderful day. And tune in for our next episode of C-Suite Perspective. Thank you for listening to today's episode of C-Suite Perspective. If you would like to be a guest on our show, go to go.amazatic.com forward slash apply. That is G-O dot A-M-A-Z-A-T-I-C dot com forward slash apply. And don't forget to hit subscribe to C-Suite Perspective Systems and Processes and leave us a review. Feel free to also share it with your friends and colleagues through your favorite social media channels. And feel free to reach out and connect via social media or go to our website amazatic.com that is A-M-A-Z-A-T-I-C.com. My name is Chris, and I thank you for listening to C-Suite Perspective, Systems and Processes. Yeah.